0: Our next live workshop, Integrating Mind and Heart, will be held online from September 22nd to 24th, 2023. If you want to get closer and trust each other and yourself to get through the hard moments, this is the workshop for you. Sign up at wideismypartner.com slash events. Welcome to the Connectfulness Practice Podcast. Here, we settle into the murky, tangled, and freaking hard parts of life— to restore our relationship with the self so it can ripple out to the people we love, the work we do, and the world around us. If we can't fix what's wrong, then our grandchildren inherit it. In order to fix what's wrong, we have to talk about it. And we can't move that conversation forward if we're not willing to be real about where we are now. We have to push on the edges of what it means to connect. Otherwise, nothing will ever change. I'm your host, Rebecca Wong, and I'm here to guide you through a series of radically honest conversations about what it means to be truly human in all of its messy, beautiful, hilarious, and heartbreaking glory. In our collective effort of looking inward, we're starting to do the outward work to reconnect the world. While these discussions will guide you into the connectfulness practice, this podcast is not meant to be a substitute for the depth of work that you'd encounter with a licensed provider. If something in this episode touches you, reach out. That's where you initiate the ripple that restores relationships. You can learn more about my Connectfulness Counseling Practice and our Collective for Therapists in Private Practice at connectfulness.com. Welcome back to the Connectfulness Practice Podcast. It's been a little bit, and um, just getting my feet under me. I had an opportunity to lead an amazing amazing relationship um, boot camp with Jules Shore, one of my last guests on the podcast, and another colleague, Victoria Issa. It was intense and wonderful. Two full days of talking about essential relationship skills, um, all the work of Terry Reel, and we just brought it to life online in a virtual format with, um, gosh, it was... It was almost 40 folks, lots of couples, lots of individuals, a bunch of therapists, and it was really wonderful. We're going to be offering it again in April, and you can learn more about that at connectfulness.com slash offerings. We would love to have you join us. This episode, we're having a really different conversation on the podcast. And I think it's um, important in so many different ways. I would think it was an important conversation under normal circumstances. And now, with the holidays approaching and with COVID on the uptick all over the country, um, this conversation that we're having today around sex education and consent really sheds a light on how we can navigate these times and tend to ourselves and one another. Here's the thing. When things aren't talked about, They send this message, this unspoken message about fear, that um, it's harmful and it's something we need to keep away from. And the truth is there's a lot of harmful things out there and we need to be able to make really informed and consenting decisions around our risk. And we all have different risk tolerance. And one of the best ways as parents that we can guide our children is by helping them navigate those choice points and figuring out what they're thinking and learning about what they are thinking about. For many of us, nobody ever had those conversations with us. And so as we emerge into parenting, we have absolutely no idea how to have those conversations with our own children, with the next generation. So how do we how do we start? Well, that's what this conversation is all about. So I'm looking forward to introducing you to my guest. Elizabeth Greenblatt has been teaching about sexuality for over 25 years. Elizabeth found her passion at 14 years old when she helped to organize fellow students to expand their Hudson Valley's school sex education curriculum beyond abstinence only. After graduating with a specialized major in human sexuality from Ithaca College, Elizabeth continued working as a community health educator and an education manager at Planned Parenthood in Northern California for 12 years. Earning her master's in public health from San Francisco State, Elizabeth currently works with Sex Savvy Hudson Valley to support schools and community-based organizations in the Hudson Valley to provide comprehensive health education to students, teachers, administrators, and staff. Elizabeth also provides community workshops for parents, caregivers, and young people welcome Elizabeth. Thank you. I'm so glad to have you here.
1: I'm so glad to be here. Yeah,
0: Our lives have um, kind of woven in and out for quite a while, for many years. Our, <laughs> our little long time ago, we're in
1: preschool together.
0: Yeah.
1: yeah.
0: Um, and so I, I feel like I'm sitting down to have tea with an old friend in this <laughs> conversation. Same. Yeah. <clears throat> But we have um, a little bit of an agenda to get to today. We wanted to talk about sex and um, and talking about sex. And I think the best place to begin this conversation is um, acknowledging the values that we all bring into this and what we did or didn't learn about sex growing up.
1: Yeah, absolutely. That's like always where I have people start really of of all ages. The question, you know, I would frame it a little differently if I'm working with really little kids, Mm -hmm. but um, especially when we're looking at, at parents, um, starting from a place of what are your values and what did you learn growing up and how did that impact you? And, um, I also always encourage parents and caregivers to think about like what things, you know, even if your answer is nothing, like no one talked to you, how did that impact you, right? Because when nothing is said, that teaches us something, right? Um, especially when our roles as a, as you know, our job as a parent or caregiver is to teach our children everything. Yeah. It teaches you something as a child when there's this one area that no one will talk to you about, right?
0: Right. It's it, 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 It's like a implicit message of shame.
1: Right. Yeah. Right. So um and then I always encourage folks that like you know even even if what you learned was nothing is there one thing that you can think of that's connected to this like larger concept of sexuality that was positive right um and sometimes you know people will be able to identify like well you know my parents did always talk about uh you know being able to believe in myself right so like trying to really get folks to dive deep into like, what are those bigger values? And what did you learn? What do you want to hold on to as a result? Right? Like what, what do you want to continue with your own children? And what are you pretty sure you want to let go of? And what does that look like? Right? Mm -hmm. You know, and like, what work do you maybe need to do (laughs) before you start talking to your children, which is why I always like, I love it when parents come to my workshop and they have babies because first of all, we start talking from the moment that they're born. Right. And right. um, there's, there's ways that you can start like normalizing, uh, talking about their bodies without shame already, like building some, some blocks around bodily autonomy. And, um, and, and it also gives us as parents and care- caregivers time to unpack some of the things that we've learned that we don't want to continue. Because I think, you know, like when we don't examine, we just repeat patterns that we've had done to us, right? <laughs> so it's, it's a really important area to do some self-exploration of like, what did I learn? How did that impact me? How did that impact like my future relationships? I also encourage parents to do a, like visioning about like, what do you want? When you envision, even if your child's a baby, when you envision your child as a healthy sexual sexual adult, what does that look like? You know, and what what skills do you think they need support from you to get there? Right. Um, but it's it's a it's a hard road for parents and caregivers because often, at least I find that like folks in our generation share a pretty similar experience around very little conversation, right? Very little support little information, lots of shame when questions were asked. Um, not a lot of great resources, very little happened in school, you know? So um, parents are not sure often about like, when can I say this? What can I say? What if some of this like stuff that I'm working on tumbles out, right? Like, how do I make sure that what I'm saying is appropriate, Um there's a lot of fear tangled up. In, like, a lot of fear. If I talk, and, and it's
0: all unspoken fear. It's oh, all God. the fear of these are the things that nobody ever talked about,
1: mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so
0: that's, I mean, I'm, I'm imagining 15, uh, 14-year-old Elizabeth, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> right? As as we talked about in your introduction, yeah. I'm imagining this 14-year-old girl who's like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get people to talk about this stuff.
1: Yeah, it's 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 really funny. Like I. I happened to just be really fortunate to grow up with, um, best friends whose mom was the director of education at Planned Parenthood mm-hmm. and they lived down the road from us. And so we, when she decided to like start a peer education program, we were like, yeah, we'll join that. And I don't, it's funny to think back to that like young person that was me. I just like fell in love with that program and, um, loved like I think, like, my real entry point was um, thinking about it from, like, a social justice perspective as a young person. Like, that's, like, really what sort of got me hooked into this work, if that makes sense, in that, you know, as a teenager, you're starting to realize that that adults do not respect young people in the way <laughs> that I think young people often need and deserve. Sure. And so um, I saw it as this, like, Other example of like, here are a bunch of adults trying to tell us what to do and not actually giving us access to things that are happening to us that we have expertise on, right? Like this is our lives. Why aren't you listening to us? And why do you get to decide if I learn about like how my body works, right? So it just seems so logical to me that like, of course, young people need to have this space to talk about what's going on with us and to build these skills and why would you try to keep that away from us <laughs> right <laughs> like um, and I think that that's like kind of how I got into the into it um and I like you know I went to school board meetings I talked to the school board being like this yep. is harmful to us to keep this away from us so um and I would say that like my uh, my, my work is always like grounded in my love of teenagers, even the work that I do with parents, I think is connected to helping yes, them support their eventual teenager. Right? right. Um, cause I really believe that like teenagers are a part of changing the world always. Mm-hmm. And something happens when we become adults that we like just start to get really frustrated with them. <laughs> And I get it. There's like frustrating things that happen at every age. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's absolutely hard to parent a teenager in terms of what they're going through. But we all, uh, if we had more norms around listening to them and really allowing them to like have expertise around their experience, (laughs) I think it really would shift a lot of like how adults and teens interact. And especially when it comes to, to these things, like, they are going through so many changes around their sexuality, so many that they, changes that they need like resources and support to navigate in safe spaces. Well, they need to feel like they can understand themselves
0: and their' emerging their emerging selves, right, right. And so um, many listeners on my podcast will know this is a topic I talk about all the time. Yeah. It, you know like, the places where our parents maybe didn't reach in and help us get to know ourselves. Yeah. And our sexuality is just one of those many, oh, yeah. many frames that right. um, can be, we can feel uh, like we understand ourselves in, or we can feel like we we're neglected right. and we don't get to know ourselves or right. where we feel like we're told this is who we have to be. Right. Um, right. But listening, you, you mentioned the importance of listening. And I feel like that is one of the skills as a society
1: that we can <laughs> probably work
0: on, um, and certainly within our own homes and within our own families and oh, within yeah. our own selves. So it's, um, you know, I, I always take that kind of like macro-micro kind of approach to mm-hmm. these types of things, mm-hmm. and the places where we have control obviously are
1: with mm-hmm. the
0: relationships that are the closest to us.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: So I'm thinking about listening, and I'm I'm looking at my notes, and I'm noticing that one of the things I want to talk about is consent. Mm-hmm. But when I'm thinking about listening and I'm thinking about consent, listening is such a huge part of having consensual conversations. So Mm -hmm. can we start with just talking about listening and Mm -hmm. how you frame that?
1: I mean, yeah, and I always, also I I think like one of the things that's hard for parents and caregivers when we think about talking about sexuality with children is that we have this like cultural story of there being a talk, (laughs) And there's just like one, and it's awkward, and then you're done. And so I always ask folks to like, let's like blow that idea up and like put it aside. Because really, we're talking about lots of talks all the time, just like you do with other things that you're trying to support children in, right? And one of the most important things (laughs) as an adult is to reflect on the fact that adults like to talk a lot. And when we, when we frame it as like, we're going to have this talk and we're going to educate, <laughs> we tend to go into this like adult mode of like, and here's all the things you need to know. Blah, 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 blah. And especially for young children, and I would argue for like all kids, like it's just too much information and it doesn't actually help them build skill of thinking about what they're feeling and thinking. So I always tell, ta- I sort of, talk to parents about like take a pause and listen more than you talk so how can you actually change this so that you're asking an open-ended question of your Mm -hmm. child about what it is that you're delving into maybe it's consent maybe it's bodies maybe it's touch right what open-ended question can you ask so that you can really sit and listen you know and especially with young children I always say like, these are mini conversations. So stop trying to like explain everything in one sitting. Your child may have a question about, you know, where did I come from? (laughs) And instead of like launching into a full series lecture, just answer their question directly. uh, Ask them open-ended questions. But really we're looking at like two, three, four minute conversation and then fight your urge to keep talking and talking and stop and then you always you come back to it through reading books through everyday examples that happen in life um but i do think that especially when we're in that like parent or teacher role it can be very challenging to remember to listen and like just reframing what it is that you're doing instead of talking how can i how can i pull out more open-ended questions that relate to this topic and then just really listen (laughs) and reflect what you're hearing what
0: i love about what you're you're bringing up there is that by listening
1: you're actually able
0: to help shape more right You're, you're actually getting in there and you're saying okay these are the things that are on your mind these are the things you're thinking about let me help you with that
1: yeah yes exactly yeah. And, you know, like children really, they have lots of needs from the kinds of conversations they have with, with, with us, especially when it's connected to like sexuality and development. They really need like affirmation from us. Mm-hmm. So I also always encourage parents to make sure that you're affirming your child anytime they're asking you questions and affirming the kinds of things that they're sharing with you. Can um, you give our
0: listeners an example of what that might sound like?
1: Yeah. So, you know, saying things like, that's such a great question. It's so interesting that you're wondering about that. Or if they're sharing about like how they navigated a conflict, right? Like, oh, I really liked how you thought about your feelings before sharing them. And you really used an I statement and talked about your experience, right? So like just trying to find in whatever they share a moment to affirm them, mm-hmm. even if it's just for asking you in the first place, right? Like, yeah. oh, thank you so much for asking me this. You know, that's so important for kids and helps them want to come back to talk to you more. Um, I think that like, especially also when they they get, older and become teenagers, they are, you know, the moment that they feel judged, like they're out of there. Right. So being so conscious of, I also talk a lot about like what your face looks like because mm-hmm. um, young people respond more intensely to our facial expressions. Right. So even if your words are like fuzzy and warm, <laughs> if you have tension in your voice, your kid is going to pick up on that. Right? Totally. And so doing some like self-practice around like, well, what does my face look like when I say this? And how can I like relax my face to show that I'm really calm and in like a calm and caring place and just how much that impacts how your conversation is going to go. Um, absolutely. All the way up through teenagers, which again, like the moment there's like this feeling of judgment, I just found that teens are like,
0: they am out of here.
1: Yeah. And then and they may never come back. So I also like when I one of the reasons I love when people with babies are starting to like do this work is because you know it's like you have time to explore and and make some mistakes, you know, like your four-year-old will forgive you, but your team may not. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> so like um having some time to stumble a little bit mm-hmm. and to figure out like, oh I don't I didn't like how I said that. And also when you do something that you don't like, take that opportunity to tell your kid,
0: right? Take responsibility for it. Right. Make an apology, yeah.
1: Yeah, like do I really repair. didn't like how we talked about that. I wanted to just to check in about it again. Again, great modeling for your child that like we make mistakes and we're able to take responsibility for our mistakes. And that's actually a sign of strength. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because um, I, I, I think a lot of children struggle with that concept of like being allowed to make a mistake, being allowed, you know, that saying sorry is bad. Right. So
0: being able to make a mistake and, and, you know, hold ourselves in warm regard, yeah. despite yes. those mistakes, that is, I think one of the the biggest skills of maturation.
1: Mm-hmm. It's,
0: it's one of the the most healthy things that we can do as humans, because none of us are perfect and yeah. trying to be perfect just sets everybody else up to feel judged. It doesn't and right. and it sets us up to fall really, really far when we're not. So um, I, I think this is a beautiful place to begin is just to yeah. be talking about, even as parents navigating this, how we're going to goof up sometimes and owning mm-hmm. that is a part of these lessons that we teach our kids.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Huge. Yeah. So, you know, like, I think those pieces are so connected for me of the like, really be aware of what your face looks like.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: try to be in a place that's really calm and really catch yourself when you start like launching into saying more or lecturing and try to rephrase into how can I ask this as an open ended question Beautiful. and try to get my child to reflect their experience and trying to get them to pull out some of the emotions that they were feeling as it was going on. Cause that's also really great you know learning for them to be able to name their emotions that they felt when this particular thing happened or um and then I also always talk about like how can you use you know if you don't have a kid that's asking you questions or telling you things that are happening in their lives try to use things that you see around you you know like there's there's different things that happen in your life that you can relate back to these things like bath time bathroom time relationships that you may see in your life um, babies being born, you know, um, if your child consumes media, there's tons of opportunities there as well to engage them in conversations.
0: Right. you know, totally. <clears throat> and you know what? What caught, What struck me is you, we were talking just now, um, and we're talking about what your face looks like, and <laughs> um, I'm thinking that also affects partners and relationships. <laughs> Right. Because partners have to talk about their own um, sexual exchanges and and what happens in between them and their faces and their body language says a lot that maybe they're not actually putting into words. And so the same skills that we're talking about for parents to use with their kids as you're starting these early conversations that can begin like with infants and with toddlers, Mm -hmm. it's actually the same skills that we're talking about using adult to adult.
1: Yeah, I agree. And I think that's one of the reasons that, you know, I want parents and caregivers to think about like, what is your, what is your healthy sexual adult child look like and what skills do they need to get there and how can you support them? And really, again, going back to those, like, what are my own values? Mm -hmm. What is it that I learned? How did this impact my relationships? How does it still maybe impact my relationship where do I want to improve and how I communicate about what my needs are? Uh, cause it's, it's absolutely connected. And it also like, you know, pans out in research. When you look at like, um, parents who talk to their kids about sexuality you tend to see that kids take like less, um, risks in connection to their health. They're more likely to access health services. um, And there's also like some evidence of like increasing connection in the relationship between parents and caregivers. Right. Um, And that, and actually, and that even like, you know, teens, there was a study that came out of like, I think it was like folks that had graduated from college just recently. And the majority of them still listed like their key influencers around how they made sexual decisions as parents and caregivers, So we, we have this, I I think we also have a cultural story that like, um, peers are the most important. And while they absolutely are really important, right? (laughs) We know that, um, I think we don't understand how important parents and caregivers are in shaping the values and decision-making skills of young folks, especially when it comes to sexuality. So it's like, you have such an important role, um, that even if, your young person doesn't seem to value what it is that you're sharing. It's important to them. It's super and important and yeah. they need it. Right. And yeah. sometimes the pushing that you experience is actually them pushing to understand what the boundaries are and to understand what limits you're helping to create and set. Right. Um, so I, I think all the time about how this impacts who we also are as adults in the relationships that we then engage in and, you know, like our ability to say, to say what we want in relationships to say what we want sexually. I, um, I recently have been working with some adults as well who are not, I don't know. Some of them are parents, um, but adults who are like single during this time of COVID and it's how many of them, talk about how they've struggled in relationships with saying what they want and getting clear about what they want, saying what they wanted sexually and how in some ways, like trying to date during this time forces them to get really clear (laughs) about what it is that they want. And to be able to say, again, like, what do I even want sexually? Because if I'm going to actually navigate having sex in a pandemic. I I need to be really clear about what that looks like. Right. Which means I also need to say what I like and what I don't like. And there's so many adults that have that are like doing this for the first time
0: who have never really been able to express their needs yes. and their desires in that yes. kind of way. And so when it comes then to also raising another generation who right. is able to express themselves well because you know, there's two sides to this. If we want to talk about things like consent, which has mm-hmm. a lot to do with listening, it yeah. also has a lot to do with speaking up and yeah. taking a stand, right? And yeah. being able to express this is what I want, this is what I need, right. this is what doesn't feel good to me, right. this is what I don't want to be a part of. And right. um, if we can't access that within ourselves, how do we teach it?
1: Exactly. This is like, I think my whole, so like, again, when I think about like the roots of this work that really matter to me. It's that um, we in the US, I think, approach learning about sexuality in a way that's like really based in risk prevention. <laughs> and it's not that I don't agree with risk prevention, right? Like it's it's important. We need to understand what the risks are and understand how to prevent them in our lives. But I am more interested in in having us understand how to communicate about our needs and desires, yeah and have a real clear sense of ourselves, right mm-hmm. and who we are. and to understand that a sex that sexuality is a part of us that we cannot like disconnect from ourselves because we're uncomfortable with it. Like it's a part of us regardless of our relationship with it. It's still there, right? right. 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 <laughs> and so it it serves us to understand it to accept it, to allow ourselves to explore like what feels good to us, what does not feel good to us and be able to really clearly communicate about that. And unfortunately we don't often have the opportunity to learn these skills because of our like cultural discomfort with sexuality. And so it, it sets up young folks for I think like disaster in their in their intimate and sexual experiences. Because, you know, like, these conversations are hard. It it involves being vulnerable. It involves, like, sometimes getting your feelings hurt, (laughs) understanding that people get to say no and yes to things, because they get to make choices about their own body. And you may not like their answer, you may want something different, but that's okay because we all get to make these choices. Right. And I think we don't spend enough time there of like starting with this. This is a normal and natural part of who we are. Mm -hmm. How do we help understand and really practice the skill of saying what we want and saying what we don't want and, and recognizing that there's like, there's not a book of like, I have to like these things, right? This actually comes up a lot in um, classes that I've done with teenagers of the like, what if I don't want to do that thing that like everyone says I'm supposed to want to do? I'm like, great. You just figured something out about yourself. right? (laughs) Like, There's no like have to, everybody gets to make their own choices. And what a beautiful thing to know, like, oh, this feels not super comfortable to me. Right. Right. And to know that it's like living and growing and changing. One of the, I love doing this activity called like a, it's called a yes, no, maybe list. I was just thinking about the yes, no, maybe I use it with my couples. Yeah. I love it. Mm -hmm. And I always encourage folks to do it in pencil (laughs) and, you know, and to, and to come back to it frequently, Yep, to think about like, you know there are people that can change the yes no maybe list for you right you might f- you might find yourself in a relationship where things on your maybes move to yeses or things on your maybes move to nos and to spend some time reflecting around that right, right. it's like a living breathing thing mm-hmm. but it's also really useful in thinking through like okay right now what feels comfortable to me what feels like a maybe and what's like a hard no because again When we don't think like when we don't spend this time and then you just are in a situation, it's so much harder to navigate because you have all these other like influences, (laughs) and
0: and it's so much harder to navigate these conversations when we're having them like with our clothes off in the middle of the moment. It's so much easier to be thinking about these things on the regular, be guided through how to have these conversations, have some um inner resources around yeah. being able to figure out how i'm thinking and feeling about something and maybe yeah. even have the conversation when my clothes are still on
1: oh yeah i always you know? encourage that yeah. i'm like you know it's not that you can't have some elements of these conversations with clothes off but ideally you're having these kinds of talks with clothes on ideally you haven't used substances right so that you can like really be clear and think through what it is that yep. you want outside of like these other things that could influence and change how you may make a decision.
0: So we're, we're talking about how parents can teach consent. That's part of what we're talking about. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I'm thinking this isn't just about sex. Mm-hmm. This is about so many different things. Oh yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I know with my own kids, it came up pretty early on, you know, around tickling. And yeah. what comfort levels were and what comfort levels were. in. And, and, you know, did they want to hug or kiss a, you know, family member or something? Yeah. Um, or did they not want to? Um, yeah. So those kinds of conversations come up in a lot of different ways. And I think right now, um, because we're living through this pandemic, we're living through this COVID time, I think we're having opportunities mm-hmm. to learn how to talk about consent and to learn how to have these conversations, maybe even in a non-sexual way, but just yeah. around, you know, like risk. And, yeah. you know, what am I comfortable with, And what am I not comfortable with? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, who's part of my pod? do i do I have a pod? Like right. you know, um, can you speak into that a little bit more because I think it's it's a similar conversational skill,
1: yeah, absolutely. I think, like, in general, when i when I talk about consent, it's often like starting really young and not connected to sex at all. It's like, mm-hmm. Helping finding these moments with young children to help them build skill in their own bodily autonomy and help them realize that they're the boss of their bodies, right? Um, And that that connects to everything that we do with our bodies. Mm -hmm. And so that young children get to make choices about when and if they touch, who they touch. This includes like, I think the biggest struggle that I see come up or like that parents want to talk about is, is navigating this with grandparents. Yeah. Right. Um, So how do you, do you let a young child still make choices about if they don't want to hug a grandparent? Right. Um, And that it's still really important to make sure that they get to make choices about when and if they touch people and that, that helps them also understand that they have to follow that same principle with their friends. Right. And it is, it's very interesting during this time because all of a sudden we can't like hug people anymore, right? Um, Which I think is a sadness, but also because like of what you're talking about, like everything that we do, we have to use more of these skills that we're not used to using (laughs) to have conversation about Risk and risk management and like risk tolerance. And so it's like just to interact with folks, you now have to have a conversation about, like, okay, well, what does that look like? Uh, where are we going to interact? Right? Like, are we going to be outside or do, are you inviting us to be inside? And do I feel comfortable with that? Yes or no? And how many other people are you interacting with? And are you generally wearing masks or not? And when you don't wear masks, what does that look like? Um, you know, there was this great article that was—I can't remember where it was—but it was about like how to set up a pod uh-huh. with folks, and it had like a ton of information just to like show how incredibly thorough you have to sort of be in joining with other folks, and what does that look like, and what rules will you have if somebody you know like um, ends up not following one of the agreements you've made. All of these are like the exact same skills that we want folks to learn in terms of. Consent around all issues, right? But absolutely translate to sexual behavior as well. So I find it really fascinating. And I keep like joking a little bit like, you know, if there's a silver lining of the pandemic, it's that I do think we will all have better skills in having, you know, difficult conversations that to me are very much like, say, sex conversations, right? (laughs) It's like the same type of conversation but with like slightly different content. But all of a sudden we have to have them all the time and everyone has to have them.
0: And we're having and, them everywhere. Like it's it's right. not like it's a taboo to be talking right. about this anymore.
1: Right. Yeah. But it. I will say that interestingly in some of the work I've been doing with like, you know, folks that are single and navigating dating, one of the things that we talked about is that when you like someone, like so when you're into someone, you're more likely to just want to trust them. Yeah. Um, and assume that they're following sort of like responsible behavior. And so it is a little, sometimes it can be a little bit of work to make sure that you're having these conversations. Cause your instinct is to be like, Oh, they're, they're good. I like them so much. They're probably making safe choices. Right. <laughs> um, and I think that that can also happen with like other people that we just care about, you know, oh, like we want to connect with them and so there is going to be this desire to be like, I won't ask them that question. That feels like a hard question. So we do, even though we know we need to have these conversations in the, in the you know, during a pandemic, I still think there's folks that are that are struggling totally. with, with it and looking for like, I'm going to not ask that one. We're just going to assume it's okay.
0: Have you found ways to work with that? I found a few that work for me. I'm curious about some that might work for you. Like one thing I have found mm-hmm. um is, you know, I, I have a lot of friends that I've been more disconnected from than usual and, um, people who I haven't seen so often and we want to get together and we want to see each other, but we have different practices. We have different ways of doing things. And so, um, I tend to be on the more conservative side. Mm -hmm. And so what I'll do is I'll just put out what my, what I'm comfortable with. I just say like this, this, you know, we want to get together with you. And this is kind of the conditions around how we want to get together.
1: Yep. Yeah. That's basically what I, I think is really effective. I've been, um, encouraging folks to, to get a really clear understanding of your own risk tolerance Mm -hmm. and to understand that everyone has different, um, risk tolerance levels. And so if you ever feel like you're experiencing a miscommunication, it could just be because you have very different risk tolerance levels. Right. So like having a real clear sense of like, for me, this is what feels safe and this is how I experience. like here are risks that I feel willing to take and here are ones I don't so that it can just be really clear. and to know, especially if you're like, you know, navigating some something with someone that just has like a much lower threshold around risk, that um, you may have to remind them a few times if you're the person that's like generally more conservative. And it's not necessarily that they're not listening. It's just that they don't perceive a risk in the same way that you do around this. And so just like having some understanding and care that that is going to happen. And so that's why we need to have these conversations and to like, especially share, like, this is how I generally behave. These are the things that feel safe for me, here's what it would look like, here's what it would need to look like if we were to get together, Um, and here are the things that I I would feel comfortable with, and just being super clear, but again, that's like, that's not something we usually do, so it is. It's not something
0: we usually do, but (laughs) as you're lining it up, and you're modeling it for us, and I'm listening to you, I'm thinking between consensual partners, that's also a really important conversation. Oh, yeah. You know, like sexually or pandemic wise, you know, in both ways, it's the same conversation, Mm -hmm. the same template.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's, that's definitely come up in the, like the group around dating, you know, and um, that like so much of what happens initially in dating is a lot of like not sharing too much to make sure that, you know, like you don't scare someone off like, we just have all these stories, right. About like, I can't say too much. I can't want to be liked. Yeah. Right. And I, I always encourage folks to explore that a little, like I do this with teens too. Like, so what happens if you share what you, what you need <laughs> and someone doesn't want to be with you? Like what, yeah. what happens? Like, and, and we, and I encourage them to talk about their feelings, but also like, ultimately, do you want to be with that person?
0: Well, you want to find out, you know, right. you want to find out if this person's going to be there.
1: Right. And so I'm yeah. like, you know, as much as like, this is, this is something that holds us back so frequently and we do all this like dancing around and yet there is actually a way to to find out more quickly right if if this is someone we want to spend our time with and while it's it can feel scary like it also it saves a lot of time and again applying it to now of like being in a pandemic you know if you're going to engage with folks you want to make sure that they're people you trust and they're worth your time because like when you look at like increasing risk versus like decreasing risk, the more people that you interact with, right? Especially sexually, that increases risk. So it seems like more important than ever, but, but having people sort of reflect on what holds us back, right? Like what are those barriers to being able to communicate really clearly what it is we're looking for, which right. often starts with ourselves, right? Like that, that has been sort of that first step of like, well, wait a minute, I know that I I know that I want something but what is that something right and I think we often dive in when we just know we want something and then start chatting with people and decide if we like people but like what does it look like if we first figure out what am I really looking for and I'm gonna like own that so that I can then say like this is what I'm looking for Um, I know someone that was that like just successfully navigated like a dating um, thing through apps and things like that. And they, they said that one, like someone put on their profile, um, I value open and honest, clear communication. And this person was like, yep, I want to talk to you. (laughs) Right. 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 (laughs) So like, you know, that these are things that we can absolutely ask and want and that, like, how does this actually transform our relationships? So when we start in a place of, I know what I want. This is what I'm looking for, right? Um, is this something that we're going to explore or not, right?
0: <laughs> I think whenever we start from a place of, I know who I am, mm-hmm. which is a part of, I know what I want, mm-hmm. right? But when we start from a place of, I know who I am, it always transforms our relationships. Oh, yeah. Right? Absolutely. Um, so often the thing that I find in in my couples therapy and relational therapy practice is that people come in to see me because Mm -hmm. they have no idea who they are. And then they're wondering why their relationships are not what they want. Totally. Right. So it's, it's the, it's the combination. The more time we spend getting to know ourselves. And I think from a parenting perspective, this is the same thing. It's the same conversation because what we're Mm -hmm. trying to then talk about with parents is how do you help your kid get to know themselves?
1: Yeah. Right, it's that like deep sense of knowing and then being able to talk about who you are right? and
0: trusting that somebody's going to listen.
1: Mhm. Mhm. Yeah, and and knowing that it's okay to say who you are and what you want because I think that like that is something that we all children through adults experience fear again. But again, I would argue some of that fear is based in like well we could be rejected. Mm-hmm. Right? So, like, let's explore that a little. What does it mean to be rejected? How may we feel? And, you know, again, if someone rejects you for sharing who you are and your truth, is that someone you want to spend time with? Right. You know? Um, Which can be really hard to untangle, I think, especially for little ones, right? Because there's, like, so many of those social dynamics that they're learning that are absolutely based in, like, power. Totally. (laughs) Um, who, who does they think they want to play with? What does that mean in terms of like what the school culture can look like? Um, and what's the,
0: striking me as we're talking about this is that being listened to, which is where we started, right, yeah, yeah. is a huge piece of this because if they trust that there's a place that they, can, that they will be listened to, then they're more likely to slow down and listen within and listen to themselves and bring it to that place where they think they're going to be heard and try to figure oh, it out right. with somebody and not be all on their own clamming yeah. up and then giving in to the pressure mm-hmm. of, well, this is what I need to do so that you like me. Because yeah. they can actually learn, well, I can like myself. And part of liking mm-hmm. myself means knowing that this doesn't feel good. And if this doesn't feel good, mm-hmm. finding a way to express that.
1: Oh, yeah. That's so big for kids. I mean, I feel like so many adults too. Adults too. So big for all of us. I know. (laughs) We're all little kids. The challenges that my kids navigate are so connected to to some of this, like this social power that happens, and and like how they can still stay grounded in themselves, while also it being like so important that they feel liked, right? Mm -hmm. And And um, really helping to support them and still being able to say who they are and not always experiencing positive feedback around that, you know, because we're still in a culture that for the most part, like, this is not the norm, sadly. Right. (laughs) Right. Um, And, but there's so, so much like deep learning to do there for kids and adults um, that I think like can be transformational for us as individuals, but also as a culture. Like, I always think like, imagine if we all communicated like this, (laughs) right? Like, what would that, what world would we live in? What would that look like?
0: Well, it would definitely be a a more mature and emotionally healthier world. Yeah. And the one that we're living in right now.
1: (laughs) For sure. Yeah. And it's like, you know, whenever there's a, when you go back to thinking of like being a parent supporting your young child, you know, like, and when you think about the the relationships that you had that were painful, harmful, right. Um, I do really believe that this is connected to helping your kid have better experiences. And, and again, like having some strength around who they are and being able to offer protection for them for themselves. Right. Like, you know, and it's, it absolutely is connected to folks' ability to be in relationships that are healthy for them and to be able to identify what healthy even looks like. Yeah, and, I
0: think that that's a really important piece and, and a healthy relationship can look different for different
1: people. Oh, yeah. 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 Um, and again, these aren't always things that we're really explicit about until I think, you know, Like, sometimes we start talking about it with teenagers, but to me, it's like, well, let's, let's be talking with really young children about their friendships, right? Because, and also the, their family relationships, because all of those are like building blocks for what kinds of relationship, like romantic relationships they're going to enter. And so helping them be able to communicate with family and with friends is a really important skill that will serve them as they age, you know? Yeah.
0: Yeah, I, I'm just I'm I'm reflecting again on my practice, and you know mm-hmm. the number one call I get from couples coming in to see me is we don't communicate well,
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right?
0: Like that's that's what everybody thinks their problem is, and right. I think underneath it 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 tends to be more they don't um, know enough about themselves to be mm-hmm. able to communicate well. Yeah, and you know it it takes us back for almost everyone that I work with. I'm working in the room with adults with often two adults. Um, but I end up really working with these little child parts who didn't have the opportunity to have these conversations that we're talking about um, yeah. when they were growing up. And so they don't know how to, how to navigate this stuff. It's not always about sex. Sometimes it's just yeah. about other kinds of power dynamics within their relationship mm-hmm. that doesn't feel good. Um, yep. But yeah. it it tends to always come
1: back to the same thing. Yeah. That's, that's so fascinating, but it makes yeah. so much sense, right? Yeah. It's like, Knowing yourself is such an important starting point. How do you begin Huge. to communicate about anything if you don't know yourself, which is then connected to like, I know myself, I then am able to figure out what I want, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, <laughs> so, so, so
0: I base a lot of my work in Pia Melody's work and a lot of my uh-huh. listeners know this. And yeah. there are five core skills, five core issues and five core uh-huh. skills that she talks about. So I'll just talk about the skills really quick. Yeah. The first one's about knowing how to love yourself. Mm-hmm. Um you know knowing that you are inherently worthy and that you're precious. Yeah. The next one is about boundary work is about knowing how to protect yourself. Yeah. Um the next one is about knowing your knowing yourself, knowing your reality, knowing yeah. who you are, and the next one is about being able to express your needs and your wants. Mm-hmm. Um and the last one is about being able to live moderately in a state of balance so mm-hmm. that you can really be in your full vitality and your authentic self all the time and you're not out on the extremes. And so when we bring all those practices together, we really start to learn how to live this, um, this more balanced life, um, where we can know ourselves and love ourselves and protect ourselves and express our needs and our wants. And we can do all that moderately. Um, and it's, it's a skill that I think for so many of us, um, the wounds that that cause the problems with it sure. begin early in our life because oh,
1: yeah.
0: you know, generations and generations upon generations of parents didn't know how to do these things. And so when yeah. they don't, they pass that down. They pass down the not knowing. Oh
1: yeah. And so yeah. this is where we get to do something different. We get to I know. That's I love I love that um that yeah. framing. That's really wonderful. Yeah. I I think, yeah, I see this so much, how we like continue to pass down shame. We continue to pass yes. down like disconnection from ourselves. Like even, you know, and it starts so early with like, with genitals, I find. oh so right? early. Like, um, like we can I talk
0: s- about our noses and our toes, but we can't talk about our penises and our vaginas. Right.
1: right. Why? Yeah. It's fascinating to me. And again, mm-hmm. like, what are you teaching young children if You're calling, your genitals, your private area. What does that even mean? Like, we don't, we don't call anything else on our bodies an area. Like, like my, this is not my pointy area. You're pointing to your elbow. I'm just saying that for our (laughs) listeners who can't see. (laughs) Um, So what does that teach young children that they have this part of their body that we like, don't really refer to with names. We often use like, you know, different, like, slang terms, um, that is teaching them shame, right? And it actually helps them. It also makes them less safe. Like if we're we're thinking about things like sexual abuse, kids that can clearly say the names for their genitals and understand that their body belongs to them and that they get to make choices about who touches them, they are less likely to be targets, right? Um, And yet I find that like still, a lot of like education, if it even happens in schools with young children, do not teach them the names of their body parts, right? They don't even use the word genitals. They use private area, right? So it's all like vague and young children need specifics. They need
0: really, really specific (laughs) specifics. They are concrete
1: thinkers, right? They need, they often need to be able to like touch things and manipulate things to help them understand it. So it's like, So I always think back to that, like, and again, like, what is that? Then, then you think about like, okay, so you've learned from the time you were little that your genitals are shameful. And so like, okay, now I'm an adult and I cannot talk about what feels good to my genitals because on some level, I still believe that they're shameful. Right. Right. So like, there is this big connection of like what it means to feel comfortable with our bodies, to know how they function, to know that it's like a normal thing for our genitals to feel aroused. And there's like different things that happen in those parts of our bodies. And like, you know, we learn about every other body system in school. Why why does this get separated out? (laughs) And what does that mean? Like, kids understand what that means. Like, oh, And and then why do we separate kids
0: in learning environments? Like we can teach about the heart and the lungs to a whole class of kids. Why wouldn't we're teaching about sexual health? Do we put girls in one room and boys in another? And, you know, like there's, um, there's just so much there. There's Mm -hmm. so much there.
1: Yeah. I, that, also drives me bananas. I know it does. And I I always like (laughs) want to talk to folks about like, well, why are you separating? And what does that mean? And what are your assumptions behind separating? And also what does that mean for kids who are trans or gender non-binary? Where do they go? Mm -hmm. And like, and again, what's, what's the assumption behind, like, they need to learn about it in this environment. Cause I argue that like, You just, you want everyone together and you want to talk about everything so that it's accessible to all folks, regardless of whether they own that body part or not. I want them to understand how it works because it's like a part of bodies, right? Yeah. And this is how, you know, like, I can't tell you how many like adult men I have educated about the fact that we don't pee out of our vaginas. (laughs) And this is what happens when nobody talks about how bodies work. Like this idea that we should only have knowledge about the parts that we own doesn't make sense. We don't do that with anything else. Like, you know, so let's learn about all the body parts. Let's make sure that everyone gets to be there and that we're not like forcing kids to choose something that may not actually be representative of who they are or may out them in a way that feels unsafe. And then also like they learn so much from the questions, right? So what happens when they're separated You don't hear each other's questions. You don't hear that like all folks, regardless of, you know, their gender are interested in often very similar types of questions. Right. And it also provides the opportunity for you to like talk about what what is respect? How do we talk to each other? Like these are really important moments and we lose all of that. And again, potentially cause harm when we separate.
0: Yeah.
1: So, but and, and we lose the ability also
0: to just learn about listening again, right. you know, right. like there's that important piece because we are different, and so much of so much of navigating a consensual and relational conversation is mm-hmm. about being able to tolerate and know that we are different, yeah and find our ways in terms of where we can connect and yeah. and where that connection feels good for everybody. And so part of you know, if we're educating, um, young people, and we can educate them in one large group for, you know, people who have all different kinds of body parts, we're enhancing that ability to understand our differences oh, and our similarities, you know, like right. we're, we're learning more about ourselves.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's the piece that I feel like that is like woven into anything that I talk about, right, is like, yeah. how do we understand that we we are all different, and yet we also all share things that are similar? And, um, and so like, let's, let's look at that and be able to appreciate when folks are different instead of shaming them for being different. You know, there's, um, and also to like connect on things that we're similar about and to realize that those are not always gonna fall in um, like gender identification lines, right? Um, Cause really ultimately I want folks to know themselves as individuals right? Because we're like all these special and unique individuals and, and allowing themselves to like get really clear about who they are, what they think, how they feel. And it's okay if their friend has different experiences and like, what a wonderful experience to learn about how your friend may experience something. And what, what, what do you share and what may be different and difference is okay. Right. (laughs) You know, um, it's like what makes things beautiful that we like have all of these unique experiences. So, um, yeah, but it's, you know, it takes schools to have a hard time, like getting out of the, the pattern of like, well, this is what we've always done. And, we're gonna, you know.
0: It- well, schools are definitely getting out of the patterns of what the yeah. has done right now. <laughs> sure. You know. Um- <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, so,
1: so maybe, maybe there's another silver lining in here I in hope. regards.
0: Yeah, I hope yeah. so too. But um, along that line, we've been talking for a while about putting something together, um, yeah. some kind of, of course, for young people or Um, young people and their parents, and I know you have some other stuff for singles, and Mm -hmm. um, so could you share a little bit about what you have coming up and how folks can find you and learn more about some of this programming that you're putting together?
1: Sure. Um, So we have been talking about um, trying to put together a uh, program for third through fifth graders, which initially was going to be in person. And now we're trying to shift that to um, having it happen in a, in a virtual format and, um, and having it be much more comprehensive than what normally happens for this age range, which is usually just puberty. Yeah. Stuff. So we've been looking at like, you know, um, how do we, how do we learn about being respectful looking at things like gender roles, friendship, peer pressure. Um, what isn't like, what is intimacy? What are relationships? How do these things change as we start to like actually go through puberty and experience attraction? Um, and then also looking at things like, um, things like body images, image, You know influences on body image. Um, how do we keep our own bodies healthy? Starting to under understand things like um, sexual orientation and gender identity, yeah. and um, and then doing some real practice with being clear with friends, um, communicating with friends, being able to like um, use some of these skills to. Um, say what you want and what you don't want Um, and as well as some like sexual abuse prevention things so it's currently we're looking at like eight sessions that are going to be virtual and we have not decided on a date yet but that is something that is coming yep and that and you know the the exciting thing about it being virtual is it means that like people can participate from lots Mm -hmm. of different places and it's going to be open to, you know, um, kids in that, in that sort of age range of all genders. So, yeah, I think that is, that's something that is, that is we're huge. both very excited about. Yeah. <laughs> um, cause I think many, many folks that I connect with are not always happy about like what's happening at the school level. Yeah. Cause we still, you know, like I mentioned before, we tend to approach this from like a risk perspective of like let's prevent risk so when it comes to sexual health topics we look at it as like we're going to talk about this thing this one thing and then we're going to like check it off the box and we're going to be done so maybe so they get like something around puberty um but that's not all of the things we want them to understand there's so much more so much bigger. and we want them to be able to practice some skills that are connected connected to their changing bodies and minds and hearts right so i think that's that's a piece that's exciting um the other thing that um we're probably going to be offering at some point this fall um through sex savvy hudson valley which is myself and um, Susan Rachel Condon, who's an amazing, amazing superstar midwife. Um, so, we will likely offer some of our teen programming online as well. Right. Uh, we have to reformat it a little bit because it used to be sort of like a full day. Um, so, we're looking at sort of making some shifts in that. Um, and then We also will be offering probably like some online parent caregiver workshops. Um, And then we are also doing like um, some coaching services which are for like either parents or caregivers or adults just to provide some more like one, on if someone wants more like one-on-one deep dive time. Um, And then we're sort of here to support, I would say like people's home learning adventures Mm -hmm. Yeah, for folks that are either looking for like resources that they can use with their families to help sort of incorporate health and sexuality into learning. Um, as well as like, um, folks that are doing that, you know, we will explore potentially some like outside small group, things. Wonderful. Okay. So, you know, that's something that we're open to. It's just a matter of like when, how, having to navigate a lot of questions. Um, Because we know that there are many folks, whether they're doing like digital learning or homeschooling that may have like small groups that we could potentially do something with. So that's something that we're exploring. And then long-term we're, we're trying to develop something about like um, menopause and midlife Oh, I'm so excited about that's that one like, too. That's like accessible to all folks because one of the issues issues you'll start finding when you look into like menopause resources is they're all written for women mm-hmm. and often like cis heterosexual women. Right. <laughs> and so there's not a lot of good resources that exist for folks that don't identify in that way, but are still going through menopause. There is like a resource that's coming out by this amazing person in the field of, um, Sexuality education. The um, founder of Scarlet Teen, Heather mm-hmm. Corinna, They're writing a a book that is going to be like a really inclusive look at um, perimenopause, menopause, and I think it comes out this call- fall. It's called "What the Fresh Hell Is This?" <laughs> oh, exciting! We'll have to look for that. So that's like a an, an, a really exciting resource. So that's like something I would say that I've, like we're working on, but is more long term um, because in also reality, you know this is a time that's going to be really interesting and in that both of my children will be at home mm-hmm. and it's going to be a little bit of like a, let's, let's see what's possible. <laughs> yeah. As, as will mine. And, and right. I'm, I'm feeling
0: that one with you.
1: You're um, all navigating that adventure. Yeah,
0: yeah. So just to be clear where folks can find you and, and mm-hmm. all of this beautiful work that you're talking about um, it's at sex savvy yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And we'll include a link to that in our show notes. Um, I love the work that you're doing. I love um, you and Bertie so much. And so um, it excites me to know how much more you're bringing into the world and into the community and that with it going online and being more digitally oriented for now, um, yeah. it's more accessible to folks even outside it's of true. the Hudson Valley. But it's for true. those of us that live here, um, mm-hmm. it's important to know that you guys are here and what you're offering. So yeah. thank you so much. Thanks oh, for yeah. joining us.
1: Thank you for having me. It's like, it's so beautiful to be in conversation with you. And I love the work that you do so much. And I love the, like, also just the ways that our work connects. And it's just also like the Hudson Valley is so lucky to have you as a resource for, for folks. Cause it's like, it's not always easy to find like, really incredible therapists to help navigate relationships. So yeah. relationships really, are tough. They are. They're I'm just also tough. really grateful to you and the work that you do. Oh, thank
0: you. <laughs> if you enjoyed today's conversation, then I would love for you to check out Elizabeth's new offering over at sexsavvyhudsonvalley.com slash events. Elizabeth is offering an online sex education course for 3rd to 5th graders. It's an entire series that's going to be running from December 5th of 2020 through January 15th of 2021. Also, I have a Supporting Your Relational Self and another relationship boot camp coming up in 2021. And I would love to have you join us. So find out more at connectfulness.com slash offerings. It would be such a treat to see you there. All right, dear listeners, that's it for today. This holiday season, let's all do our part in taking care of one another. Stay home when you can. Wear your masks when you're out. Physically distant yourself from those that you don't live in the same home as. We can all do our part, and um, you know, I guess one of the things that's coming to mind for me also is just how important it is that we all do our part to help take care of one another. Um, we're getting a lot of different kinds of information out there in the world, and being able to evaluate that information and discern and and have these kinds of consenting conversations is um, its a skill and it's pretty apparent it's one that this world needs more of so I hope that you take what you learned from today's conversation and apply it to multiple areas of your life um, and on that note if you'd like to help out the ongoing production of this podcast there's a few ways that you can I'd love it if you subscribe to the show rate it on Apple Podcasts give us 5 stars And uh, share the show with your friends and colleagues, anyone that you think could really get a lot out of this. As always, you can learn more about my practice over at connectfulness.com. And I also want to express my deep gratitude for the musicians behind the beautiful soundtrack for this podcast, Sarah and Chris Ferris. They recorded it and mixed it at Kidney Stone Studio. This podcast is produced by me, Rebecca Wong, and it's copyrighted by Connectfulness Counseling. I look forward to talking to you again. Take good care. Be well.